0: Week 15, restoring the temple. Well, I want to give you a little bit of an overview, if you will. Jacob, could you turn this mic down on that monitor, if you don't mind, because I'm, I'm hearing some crazy stuff. We are going into week 15, of, and actually, le- next week is our last week uh, for the Days of Elisha series. We have covered the entire story from Elijah all the way through Elisha. So, uh, do y'all wanna, anybody interested in what we're going to be teaching on next? good. Let me know because I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> no, I'm praying into that. I'm excited for whatever God has in store. But just a summary. Last week, um, Athaliah, I kept saying Atalia, but Roxanna told me, hey, it's called Athaliah. I was like, that's so much easier to pronounce. I was just trying to be, you know, like above. I don't know. Last week, we saw that Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, married Jehoshaphat's son and. And, and, and as she was an older woman, she killed off her family and tried to take the throne. Um, she was trying to kill off everyone because uh, she wanted to make sure that she should, she could secure a lineage opposite of the bloodline of David. Well, because uh, there was she was actually married to Jehoshaphat's son. Uh, she had family. Uh, through marriage that was of the bloodline of King David. So she wanted to make sure that all of them were killed off. So she tried to kill off all the kids, all the grandkids, but there was one that was preserved in the temple of God. Anybody remember his name? Joash. Joash was hidden in the temple of God and preserved. Then at seven years old, he came out with with the priest. uh, uh, I'm, I'm calling him Jehoiada. Is that how you say it? Jehidah, let's go with let's go with Jade the priest. So Jade the priest was raising him up, keeping him hidden, and at seven years old he took the throne. And we talked about basically how there's so much mixture in the church. That Jehoshaphat was marrying his son to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, hoping that they could keep peace and, and, and treaties, but really it ended up in bloodshed and murder and all these things. And we talked about how we can't have compromise in the church. We can't have mixture in the people of God. That we are called to live a life that is separated and hidden in God so that we can affect everything instead of being affected by everything. Amen? So, Joash is seven years old, and we're about to see basically an overview of his reign over Judah. Now, remember, the people in the previous chapter destroyed all the, all, all the idols and all the altars of Baal in Jerusalem. Before that, Jehu destroyed most of the, uh, uh, of the altars in Samaria. And where this story takes place, because we have two different kingdoms, the story of Joash is actually uh, overlapping uh, Jehu's reign, who we saw was, who died two chapters ago. So this is kind of an overlap summary of what's going on at the end of Jehu's reign, okay? I know it's really interesting for all of you, but I want you to get the context. So I'm going to start off in 2 Kings chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Joash began to rule over Judah in the seventh year of King Jehu's reign in Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother was Zibiah from Beersheba. All his life, Joash did, was pleasing in the Lord's sight because Jehu the priest instructed him. Yet even so, he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. So 40 years of reign in Jerusalem... It was a long reign. In that 40 years, he did a lot to advance the kingdom of God in Judah. Although he did fall short of his full commitment. He did a lot to advance the kingdom, but in the end, as we saw in verse 3, he didn't destroy all the pagan shrines. He didn't take away all the false worship. He did good, but he still fell short. Now, it's important to realize that we all fall short. Romans 3.23, if you know it, say it with me. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Another way to say it is we fall short of God's glorious standard, right? We all fall short of that. But in order to understand this passage, I think we need to redefine some things when it comes to understand what the Lord's standard is for us. We need to redefine the definitions of some words that we use all the time in the church, and it's stuff that I've talked about over and over, and I've had to uh, kind of recalibrate this past couple weeks because I'm learning some new stuff. And I hope you appreciate this. I always expose myself to learn more because I never want to be one that says my truth supersedes the truth. So, yeah, there. Now y'all awake? Okay. So as I'm learning more, I've got to adjust some things that we've been teaching a little bit to get more on point, and it's things that we've learned all of our lives. I'm talking about two words called sin and righteousness, sin and righteousness. Many of us were taught that sin means to do a bad thing or to go against the will of God. Um, I have taught a lot of times that sin means to miss the mark. Right, this archery term, this idea—you you, you take a bow in and arrow, you shoot it at target, and you miss the mark. And, and a miss is a miss. Y- y'all remember me talking about this a law. A miss is a miss. Uh, uh, sin is, is always the same because a miss is a miss. How far off target you are can have a lot to do with how long it takes to get restored to get back on target. But sin basically is the—we've taught the idea to miss the mark. Now on the other side of that, righteousness is many times defined as right standing, right standing, right? You're righteous, you're in right standing. And most of us have heard all this. Can you put your hand up? If you've heard, yeah, we've all heard this. But think about the idea of righteousness meaning right standing. Because if righteous means right standing and God says that God is a righteous judge, who is is God in right standing with? Who is he in right standing with? Because if the idea that he's righteous, he can't... Is he in right standing with himself? Or is there a little bit more to what these words mean? Both of those ideas of right standing and missing the mark are correct, but they're actually incomplete. Have I got your attention? Okay. The biggest thing that we have failed to understand is that it is less about your effort in doing a thing and more about your relationship and staying hidden in the presence of God. Yeah. Just like Joash. He was hidden in the, the presence of God in the temple for six years before he was exposed, okay? And a lot of times when we get in the idea of right standing and missing the mark, we focus on everything we do. And when we focus on everything we do, eventually you're probably going to mess up and do it again. You can focus on, let me, let me modify my behavior. So we take this thing out and take that out and replace this out and replace that out, and we're, we're getting, we get into this idea of behavior modification, and we miss the most important part is the best way to overcome something and walk through something is to get hidden in God's presence. You know when the Bible talks about heaven, it, heaven is simply being present with the Father. And when it talks about hell, hell is simply being absent from the Father? Can I, can I just say something? You don't have to die to experience heaven or hell. And we get in this mindset of I can't wait to get to heaven when you don't understand you can actually bring heaven down right here and right now. And we have to start getting that in our thinking. I don't have to die to experience God. I can experience him right now, and I don't have to die to experience hell. Some of y'all say amen to that, right? And when you understand that this is more about your identity and your relationship, you'll start to understand the complete definitions of sin and righteousness. We tracking? Okay. Sin actually comes from a Greek word that literally means without your full portion. Without your full portion. Okay. Righteousness comes from a Greek word that means The state of one who is as he ought to be. Righteousness. The state of one who is as he ought to be. Y'all getting this? So if you are in sin, it means you are operating in the absence of your full portion, which causes you to miss the mark. Let me say this. If you are operating in the absence of your full portion, it will cause you to miss the mark. What is the mark? To be in a state of what you were created to be in. Where were we created to be in right standing with the Father? The idea of sin of... Without your full portion means you have settled for a lesser version of you than God intended you to embrace. You have settled for taking the lesser portion of what you were called to be and who you were called to be and what you were able to do, and you have traded the full portion of what God has intended for you. What happens is we get to this place where we try to modify the behavior, but we're not getting lost in who we are. And if we don't get lost in who we are, then we we will never see the full portion of who we were ought to be. And we settle for the lie that because we've messed up, we can never embrace anything more. But how much you mess up has nothing to do with who you were created to be. You've got to change your thinking and start saying, okay, I don't want to settle for the lesser version of me. I want to walk in the fullest version of me. And because I want to walk in the fullest version of me, God show me where I have settled for less. And when you understand this, you stop trying to adjust the aim, you stop trying to modify the behavior, and you start to focus on your relationship, which will cause you to believe who you are in Christ. See, that's the issue. We look at sin and say, well, I've got A, B, and C wrong, and we try to fix A, B, and C. But the way you fix A, B, and C is get lost in relationship, so there is no longer a desire for A, B, and C. And if you don't get lost in a relationship, you never deal with your desire. You ever notice that no matter how hard you try, you still got something you want that's not of God? It's actually telling you how far out of relationship you are with him. And we've all got those places. And what I'm starting to learn to do is there's places in me that need some portion adjustment, I don't look at it as, let me fix it. I look at it as, God, take me deeper. Because if I go deeper in a never-ending God, then my desire for that thing that I struggle with will eventually fade away and go away. And the result is that you walk in a full state of who you ought to be, and when you're in that identity, sin cannot exist because you're walking away from the place of less portion. Is this making sense? It's, it, we talk about revival in times of refreshing. But the fact of the matter is, the church often misses the opportunity for revival in times of refreshing because our identity is wrapped up in, I am without my full portion, therefore I am not worthy of his presence. It even happens with people who don't want to be in church. They settle that I am too messed up so I can't be there, and it's, it has nothing to do with your behavior. It's what you've done is you've settled for a lesser portion of yourself, and you have said, I won't go to church because I don't view myself as worthy, even though my God does. Because you're not diving deeper into a relationship that causes a rethinking of your identity. And if you've noticed, many of the revivals over the years have stopped because most of them started with a place of They began to to, to have this idea that we're sinful and we're horrible, and what happened was they got on their face before God, wanting a revival, wanting God to change their mind, but after years of it, they were still on their face thinking they were horrible. They saw the moves of God, they saw the miracles, but who they were didn't change, so the revival stopped. Revival was never meant to be a a, a season to stop. Revival was supposed to take us to a new place and we didn't get to the new place because the church tried to sustain a revival. And they didn't get refreshed. They just stayed at a three-hour altar call where the church has taught it's better if you get on your face up here at the stage and cry out to God about how crappy you are. That's not what an altar call is designed for. We're not supposed to, okay, we're not supposed to come to church every week going, oh my God, I'm so horrible. That was awkward. (laughs) That's not what we're called to do. The altar call is I'm realizing who I truly am and I want to walk away from this lesser portion. You think God actually wants to design an environment where you feel bad about yourself? He has called you out of that into righteousness, not right standing, into you, this is your fullest portion, which brings you into right standing. That's what the the presence of God wants to do, not make you feel like you're getting it wrong every week. If you look closely in verses 1 through 3, we see something about Joash. Remember all that, okay? It says, Joash did what was pleasing to God while Jay the priest directed him. Which means when the priest died, he got lost in who he was which caused him to allow pagan shrines to exist in the temple, and he allowed people to burn incense and worship false god in the temple that he was preserved in. And just to give you some proof, look at at this account in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. This is talking about what happened. After Jehoiada's death, that's the priest... The leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash and persuaded him to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshiped as sherepals and idols instead. Because of this sin, divine anger fell on Judah and Jerusalem. Divine anger. Anger's not a sin. It's what you do with it. God got angry. Okay? I should give some of you peace. (laughs) Yet the Lord sent prophets to bring them back to him. The prophets warned them, but still the people would not listen. And then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of the priest. He stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands and keep yourselves from prospering? You have abandoned the Lord, and now he has abandoned you. Then the leaders plotted to kill Zechariah. People will kill voices they don't like. And King Joash ordered that they stone him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Do you see how far off Joash has gotten? That was how King Joash repaid his priest for his loyalty. That's called biblical sarcasm. By killing his son. Zachariah's last words as he died were, may the, may the Lord see what they're doing and amends my death. I love that. He basically said, God, get him. (laughs) After the priest's death, Joash turns to idolatry, and look what happened. All the work that they did was lost, and judgment came on the people. And the people adopted a false form of worship, and they put idols and altars in the temples. And I want to start off there to point that out, that the sin here is that his identity was more captured in a man and less about God. Because as soon as the man left, his relationship was gone. He was taking the directions of the priests. And then once the priest died, he threw caution to the wind. Because in their mindset, it was, well, the priest is the one who connects with God, and we got to listen to them. And if, when they're gone, we gonna, they end up listening to themselves. But here's the thing the scripture tells us in 1 Peter 2.9. You're not like that. You're a chosen people, and you are the royal priest. A holy nation, God's very own possession. Let me me tell you that. He doesn't say you're becoming a priest. You are a priest. If you believe in Jesus and you've been saved, let me tell you, you are a priest. And how dare you operate in a lesser portion of that identity? As a result... You can show others the goodness of God because he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Joash had an identity through a priest where it should have come from his own seeking. We are a royal priesthood, which means we have all access to the presence and our identity should be consumed in one thing, and that is him. And when our identity is found in him, we walk into the fullest portion of who we were meant to be. That is how the church restores a nation. When we find your identity in God, because in finding that identity, there's no more room for mixture. So when you see people lose their faith because a pastor failed them, where was their identity? When you see people leave the church for years because a pastor failed them, They were wrapped up in a man or even themselves, and they make excuses as to why they get a hall pass on being part of the body. It's not that we need to focus on they're doing the wrong thing. It's they settle for a lesser portion of their identity. So when people make you mad at their actions, what do you start to pray in? God, show them who they really are. God, may they not settle for a lesser portion. Is this okay? And did you notice that it was the people that persuaded Joash? True leaders only listen to one voice. They don't get moved by the voice of people who are not pursuing God. And what's happened in the church is that we've become people pleasers Instead of leading the people into a place away from their lesser portion, that's why most of the church in this area don't want to learn nothing new because they settle for lesser portion. They say they want more of God, but how dare God try to break them out of their lesser portion mold? (laughs) We've got to get to this place where we just want more. We've overcomplicated seeking. You know what seeking is, God? I want more. Men's group Thursday night, like they got me talking about most of this stuff. So if you were there, I'm gonna repeat some things. I didn't put this in my notes, but I wanna talk about wineskin for a moment. Because I'm understanding it in a new way. And this is directly tied to the more. We always talk about how we want to become a new wineskin. Y'all ever heard that term, wineskin, right? And we even sing songs like, God pour out new wine. But where the church has messed up is we think a new wineskin means change the appearance. We think new wineskin means let's get this new thing. But let me tell you what a new wineskin was in the Bible. In biblical times, imagine you have a a wineskin that held a gallon of wine, okay? They wouldn't, and let's say they wanted the wineskin to hold two gallons. They didn't go try to find a new two-gallon wineskin. They took the wineskin that contained one gallon, dipped it and submerged it in oil, or another word for that would be called baptized, And then they exposed to the anointed wineskin to fire and the heat would cause the wineskin to stretch and take a new form. So by the time they were done exposing the old wineskin to oil and fire, the wineskin that used to only contain one gallon could now be molded to contain two. Why do you think we are called to go through trial by fire? Because we have been baptized in Christ. Christ means anointing. And when we start to get to this place of God, I want more, it's like he says, you sure? (laughs) Because the only way to change what you can contain is for your mind to change what you think you can contain. And when you settle for lesser portion, you don't think you can contain the more. Same thing with the church. We don't want to be exposed to trials of fire because we don't want things to change. I say, God, bring on the fire so that we can learn how to manage the exposure because we want more. Is this? Okay. The people moved Joash when really he should have just been moved by... The voice of God. That's why we're called to be in a company of believers hidden, who are hidden in their identity with the Father, so that the only voice we all hear points in the right direction. Verse 19 said this it said, The Lord sent prophets to bring them back to Him. That's why it's so important to understand fivefold ministry. It's not a position, it's a function. What is the function of a prophetic voice? to help shift back to where we lost it. But we don't, but the church rejects the idea of prophets because they don't want to be directed in any other direction. What direction? The biggest move of God happened in Acts 2. In the upper room, fire appeared above their heads, and they started talking in all kinds of languages, and then the people devoted themselves. This is key. The people, when they had the fire come above their heads and they started talking in tongues, they didn't just break into a worship service. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And we love to get caught up in emotionalism, but we don't like to get stretched with our thinking. And what I believe where God's trying to point the church back to is a place where we are so so pursuing him that nothing is off limits and everyone actually believes it. But we don't try to define the it. Back in Acts 2, they weren't seeking tongues of fire. They were seeking God. God. And God said, Let me manifest however I choose to, which happened to be tongues of fire. But what's happened? We've put tongues of fire in old wineskin. We obviously can't have more, so God let tongues of fire. But what if God says there's more that you haven't seen in the Bible? And then the church said, If it ain't the Bible, it can't be. My God is not contained to your literature. Y'all like that richer. That was good. We can't contain who he is in anything tangible. So I don't want to come in here as a church and say, God, do what you did at the Azusa revival and do what you did at Brownsville. God, we want new wine. You know what new wine is? It's new. Yeah, <laughs> that means we haven't seen it. So we can't pursue new wine, putting it in the wineskin of an old manifestation. I'm going to actually jump one day. It's it's ugly right now. I got to lose about 40 more pounds. Now, verse... Now, verses 1 through 3 have given us a summary of the reign of Joash, but the rest of this chapter actually gives you some more more insight into his reign, and this next part of the detail is actually about him restoring the temple, okay? Now, this is before he fell, okay? It's weird how all this is kind of overlapping. That's why I want to make sure we understand. So look at verse 4 and 5. One day, King Joash said to this priest, now remember, Jay, the priest, was still alive talking about this for the rest of the book, okay? One day, King Joash said to the priest, "'Collect all the money brought as a sacred offering to the Lord's temple, "'whether it's a regular assessment, a payment of vows, or a voluntary gift. "'Let the priest take some of that money to pay for whatever pairs are needed at the temple.'" You see, back then there was a regular income that came in from three sources, census money, assessment money, and basically an offering. And an assessment money is basically, it's almost like property tax for your soul. You gave an an offering based off of where you were at, okay? So there were three different forms of money, and basically what's going on is God's temple is falling apart, okay? And they were using the money, and they were giving it all to income, and resources for the priests to fix the problem, okay? Y'all tracking? Now, Joash had, at this point, remember, this is before his fall, Joash had a tremendous respect for the temple. Why? He grew up there. Athaliah and her sons had vandalized the temple, and Joash wanted it repaired. We're actually told that Athaliah broke into the temple, took the things dedicated to God, and then postured them as worship to Baal. I mean, total irreverence. They took the worship given to the Father and they shifted it to the glory of a false god. And that's exactly what happens in the temple that God dwells in now called you. When you give glory to anything else other than your God. You are the temple of God. So when you give glory to something else, you're vandalizing the place his presence sits. Why is gluttony a sin? Because you bring your physical body into a lesser portion. Mm-hmm. Why is sexual immorality a sin? You take your soul and every time, every time you have sex outside of marriage, you split your soul with the person you're entering into intercourse with. So by the time you meet your partner, if you don't know how to, to split soul ties your marriage just settled for a lesser portion of your soul. Oh, is it too much? All right. Lesser portion. Sin, lesser portion. That's when we start getting into lifestyle changes when we dip and dive into who God is because we are trying to say, God, I don't want to settle for less. I want to walk into everything that you saw me as that I've never dreamt of. While doing all the stuff, the temple that is of him, it has become less, it's become vandalized. And what does King Joe ask? do? He says, all right, I want the church to restore the temple. The body of Christ is at a place where we need to restore the temple. We talked about this at men's group a little bit. We always talk about revival. The word revival actually just means this recovery of breath. You know, like mouth to mouth resuscitation, revival, recovery of breath. I believe that we need a recovery of breath in the church so that we can restore things to the Father that have been taken away. For his glory. Think about how we were created in Genesis. It says he formed us and then he breathed into us. And I believe the temple of God has been lacking breath because we settled for a lesser portion of living and his breath has been replaced by a false one. Where will revival come from? not by hiring great staff in a church. It's when the church gets its breath back. It's a restoration of breath so that we go change. Revival's not meant for everyone to come here. I believe that's where it stopped. It became all about coming in and no one understood that we were getting a revival of breath so that we would go out. Think about when Jesus talked to the crowds and talked to the disciples. When the crowds came, they wanted healing, they wanted demons cast out, they wanted all this. But as soon as Jesus asked them for something, they ran away and all that was left was 12 disciples. And what, what did Jesus tell the, the disciples? were asking, they were like, well, how come you tell us about the kingdom, but you just talk to them in all these like, 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 you know, parables, these nursery rhymes, these feel goods? And he said, because they don't want what I actually have to give. Why did he give it to the disciples? They were hungry for what they never knew before. And that's why they were the ones who apostolically went to a new place that the church had never seen. And we've lost that hunger and we've settled for false breath. You see, all the crowds were coming because they wanted something fixed. The disciples wanted to become something new. And they were willing to be exposed to anything like breaking the Sabbath In the religious culture like seeing dead people come out of the grave. Like seeing the one that they followed for three years go to a cross and die and then came back and they still didn't believe it. And he loved them so much that he walked them through the whole thing so they could get their breath back that they had lost the day that he was crucified. And when they got the breath back, he said, now don't, don't focus on, on heaven, don't focus on me, I want you to focus on using that breath to breathe into all the dead places in this world. My kingdom come, they will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Go spread the kingdom everywhere. I want my breath everywhere because it's dead and it needs me. And who has the responsibility to restore that? We do, the church. So Joash is repairing this temple, the place where the presence is. But watch this in verse 6. But by the 23rd year of Joash's reign, the priest still had not repaired the temple. That's a long time. Almost what it feels like with stir coffee over there. <laughs> so King Joash called for uh, the, the priest, Jay the priest, and the other priests, and asked them, Why haven't you repaired the temple? Don't you use any more money from your own needs from, from now on? Or, or don't use any more money for your own needs from now on. It must all be spent on temple repairs. The temple that Athaliah destroyed in six years has taken 23 years to repair. The work was taking way too long, so Joash goes to the root issue. The priests are doing all the work. They're getting paid to, right? They're supposed to do the work. They're getting the check. They're getting a portion from the tithe and offerings. The priests need to build the temple. And the church is waiting, when's the temple going to be built? When's it going to get back? They're taking the money. Restoration is taking us too long. So look what happens verses 8 to 13. The priests agreed not to accept any more money from the people, and they agreed to let others take responsibility for repairing the temple. Then Jay the priest bored a hole in the lid of a large chest and set it on the right-hand side of the altar at the entrance of the temple of the Lord. The priest guarding the entrance put all of the people's contributions into that chest. Whenever the chest became full, the court secretary and the high priest counted the money they had been brought to the Lord's temple and put it into bags. Then they gave the money to the construction supervisors who used it to pay the people working on the Lord's temple, the carpenters, the builders, the masons, and the stone cutters. They also used the money to buy the timber and the finished stone needed for repairing the temple, and they paid any other expenses related to the temple's restoration. The money brought to the temple was not used for making silver bowls. Lamp snuffers, whatever that is, (laughs) basins, trumpets, or other articles of gold or silver for the temple of the Lord. A system was put into place to manage the money, and they put the offering at the entrance of the temple. And in this time of repair, they didn't use the money for making anything else to put in the temple. They used it to repair the temple that contained it, and they put the responsibility on the people. And for far too long, the church has been built with the mindset of we give the offering, let the priest do the work. We give the tithe, let the pastor rebuild the temple. We give the tithe and offering, shouldn't the pastor set up outreach events so that I can minister? Okay, let's expose some fire to wineskin. We've got to get out of the mindset that I've got to put an event together for you to serve people which should be your new natural. I No, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Nope, that'll be in discussions. Yeah, I will. So, (laughs) you know, it's not that the programs are bad. It's not not that it's a bad thing to get together and partner with us. We do that with with our finances. Uh, uh, Next weekend, we're going to share the 2021 annual report. We gave over $50,000 last year to outreach. That's awesome. But the issue is, I think the church has settled for, look what we gave, but I'm going to ask, what did you do? Did you notice we didn't do any outreach events last year? It was intentional. I wanted to see who was going to do anything. And I'm not saying this to shame you. I, I, I'm saying this, we have got to take on this new natural of we want to serve people. And I know what happened. I've heard testimonies, but I'm talking about when is someone going to say, I've got this idea that's on my heart, and I'm not going to wait on Pastor Kyle to put this in place? When, when are you going to say, Man, I've got this passion to serve this thing? And I say, Well, we've got the resources. Here are the resources build the temple. Because I don't have the same passions as everyone. This is going to sound really bad. But we used to feed the homeless every Sunday. People helping people. It was an awesome ministry. It still is an awesome ministry. People get fed. People get ministered. I couldn't stand going. I'll be transparent. I'll be all right. I didn't, I didn't like going down to Forsyth and sweating my behind off to see the same people get the same food every week. That's just, that's just how, I, it, it, it didn't excite me. You know what did excite me? Seeing people light up because they loved it. Because not everyone, let, let, let's, let's look at it again, not everyone is a carpenter. Not everyone's a builder. Not everyone's a mason. Not everyone is a stonecutter. Not everyone's a pastor. Not everyone's an evangelist. So why do we try to contain everyone to the same thing? When the priests were paid to do all the work, it takes 23 years to repair something that a roof worker could do in a week. That'd be like saying, like, Kyle, go cut down a tree branch. First of all, heights. (laughs) Second of all, on switch for a limb cutter? What is this extravagant invention? I don't know anything about that stuff. But what I can do is say, God has entrusted me to store what's coming into the house. And let me find the ones that... Are you seeing what I'm saying? Everyone has a specific function. And where the breath needs to get back in the church is not trying to get you to depend on me. But understand, this function is to equip you to do great things in the kingdom and spread it everywhere. But we've got to get out of the mindset that we wait on the leader. Because when you wait on the leader, you're taking on this position of the leaders at the top and people are at the bottom when the godly example is the leaders at the bottom and the people are the upside down pyramid, if you will. Hmm. The church is taking on this mindset, bless me, repair me. And God says, no, 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 no. You need to be equipped so that you can go and do the blessing and the repair. Joash equipped them with a system, away under the direction of God. And when the people put it in their hands, the temple was restored. Why isn't this nation changing? Because we depended on the, the celebrity pastor statuses. He preaches so good. He does this so well. While you have settled for lesser portion of what you're called to do. Look at verses 14 through 16. It was paid to the workmen who used it for the temple repairs. No accounting of this money was required from the construction supervisors because they were honest and trustworthy men. However, the money that was contributed for guilt offerings and sin offerings was not brought into the Lord's temple. It was given to the priests for their own use. The priests didn't go without and the people didn't go without. And the temple was restored. How? Management for equipping the people. They got everyone who was gifted to do what they were supposed to do, and it restored the place where God dwells. And what cripples restoration of the body, the temple of God, is when everyone tries to walk in areas they've never never called to walk into. Just because you can teach doesn't mean you're called to start a church. Just because you get a revelation doesn't mean you're called to start a church. And just because you start a church doesn't mean you have to do everything right? That's why we have all these, like, so much division. Because everyone thinks if you've got a gift, you, you, you think automatically you're qualified for a different gift. Why don't you just settle for the full portion of who you are, even if it looks lesser in comparison to someone else? Because we still compare with quantity instead of quality. Oh, well, that pastor must be better than this pastor. He's got 10,000 people, and that person's only got 30 people. But what are the 10,000 people doing, and what are the 30 people doing? The early church changed an area because they got hidden and learned to listen. They learned how to hear and discern and worship him. And notice that it all says it started with putting the funds to the necessary repair. I believe the reason why we had to get hidden for so long is necessary repair. We could do outreach all day and we can have all these evangelical events, but if we don't repair the necessary thing first, which is your identity... It's going to take a lot longer to deal with the issue that we could deal with in a moment. If we could get lost in our identity, we we, we could go measure to a drug addict on the street for the next year. But if we got got lost in our identity, he could be restored in a moment, just like we read in the scripture. But we we look for models. We download the how-tos, and we don't simply say God This is the necessary repair first. That's part of the reason we didn't do a lot of outreach events last year or the year before that, for that matter. We've been kind of decreasing. Why? It's okay to understand we've got to get this. That's not a bad thing. We're still reaching people, and if someone came to me at night and said, I want to do this thing, I would still put the resources to it, and we would still have, I'm not against outreach events. I want you to hear me. I'm not going to deal with this crap where people say, I said this when I didn't. I'm not against outreach. But this is the necessary repair. We've got to understand who we are. Now, in the middle of all this, is this okay? I, I, y'all know I'm not beating y'all down, right? Most of y'all. I'm trying to. <laughs> now, in the middle of all this, after the temple was repaired, something happens. Look at verse 17. About this time, King Hazael of Aram, the Aramites, went to war against Gath and captured it. And then he turned to attack Jerusalem. King Joash collected all of the sacred objects that Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah and the previous kings of Judah had dedicated along with what he himself had dedicated and he sent it all to Hazael, along with all the gold in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. So Hazael called off his attack on Jerusalem. In case you missed it, Joash took all the sacred things in the temple of God and all the money, and he sent it to the king Hazael to stop an attack from him being killed. Instead of trusting in God, Joash traded what God, ble- what God blessed to protect his own kingdom. And a lot of why the church is in a restoration place looking for breath is because we've traded what is sacred to protect the kingdoms we build. When we build mega churches that bring in millions of dollars, and then a pandemic happens and they shut their doors where it should be the place where the lost and the people who are striving for hope come to, and they shut the doors because they can't afford it because it costs the millions, then you're shutting things down to protect your kingdom and not spread his. And we do it in our personal lives all the time. We will trade the power of God in a moment for a new relationship, for a new friendship, for a new partnership, for a new opportunity, and we give up everything of God's because we're trying to build our own kingdom. God does not want us protecting what we build. He wants us to manage what he wants to build to grow his reigns to the ends of the earth. And if we can get our mind set on that, not building what we want, but building what he wants, he will give us the hows, and he'll bring the who's. Verse 19, the rest of the events in Joash's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. Joash's officers plotted against him and assassinated him at Beth Milo on the road to Silla. Do you realize what just happened? He traded everything of God to stop them from killing him, and then he got killed by his own people. Verse 21, the assassins were Jossachar, son of Shimeath, and Jehoshabed, son of Shomer, both trusted advisors. Joash was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and then his son Amaziah became the next king. Now, that's the end of the chapter, but I want to point some things out. If you read 2 Chronicles chapter 24, it's the verse, it's the scripture that I referred to earlier. Don't put that up there yet. They don't need to see it. (laughs) If you read 2 Chronicles chapter 24, we see that after the temple was repaired, that's when the priest, the Jehoiah, the priest, that's when he died. It says he's about 130 years old. Remember, that was the one, but when Joash listened to him, he did everything that was right in the sight of God. And we see that he actually helped Joash distribute all the funds that were left over after the temple was repaired. And what they used the money for was all the things for worship services in the temple, okay? So all the stuff that Joash gave to this king was actually stuff that the priest helped him get after everything was done so that they could have things to worship God, right? And it says that the priest, the priest Jay, he did so much good that they actually buried him with the kings in the city of David because he did so much good for God and the temple of God. Now, all that stuff he got together for God and the temple, Joash sends off to make a peace treaty with King Hazael, and God didn't like that. It's important to get this, that Jehoiada the priest died before the attack, and then Joash started to give himself to the worship of other idols. And we read earlier that when the priest's son, Zechariah, told them, you guys are abandoning God, Joash had him killed. And he said, hey, God, avenge my death. Y'all remember that? So look what happens with all that in 2 Chronicles 24, these three verses, 22 to 25. That was how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for his loyalty by killing his son. Zechariah's last words as he died, May the Lord see what they're doing and avenge my death. In the spring of the year, the Aramean army marched against Joash. So this is talking about the King Hazael coming against him. They invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the nation, and then they sent all the plunder back to their king in Damascus. Although the Arameans attacked with only a small army, the Lord helped them conquer the much larger army of Judah. The people of Judah had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so judgment was carried out against Joash. The Arameans withdrew, leaving Joash severely wounded, but his own officials plotted to kill him for murdering the son of Jai the priest. They assassinated him as he lay in his bed, and then he was buried in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. Joash was worshiping other gods, bringing idol worship back into the temple that he repaired. And you realize that the scripture just said that that God helped the Arameans conquer them because they abandoned God and this was the judgment that was carried out. And Joash was so blind to it that he gave all the sacred objects to protect himself. And even though Hazael stopped, his own servants killed him. Joash should have repented, realized all he did, but he got consumed in how his kingdom was built. And the reason why the church is in need of such repair is that we had not built his kingdom. We built our own. We have no record of Joash repenting, turning back. He didn't go back to the place he was hidden for so long in the presence of God. He traded presents for his own glory. You see, repentance is not a price you pay. Because we've had this mindset for so long in the church that, well, you need to repent. You need to say you're sorry. The the idea of paying with repentance has actually came out of the Catholic Church. It's the idea that if you do something wrong, you have to pay for it. So you better say 45 prayers because you did this or... 22 prayers because you did that. And the church does the same thing. We, we talk about repentance as, you know, you need to come up to the altar and you need to cry again for, for three hours and say you're sorry and tell God what you did wrong. And, and, and what, what happens is you get to the place where you feel worthless, and God doesn't want you to feel worthless. He wants you to repent. The word repent comes from a, a Greek, a Hebrew word that simply means this. Change the way you think, and when you change the way you think, you will turn and go the opposite direction. So when God calls you to repentance, it's not, come tell him how bad you are, because trust me, he knows. <laughs> he knows everything you did. That, he's not, he doesn't need confessional. Is there a time to confess our sins? Absolutely. Absolutely but it's not to bring on this horrible idea of yourself. It's confessing your sins so that you can start changing the way you think about things. How do I change the way I think about things? Realize that the only thing that God ever wants for you is to walk in the fullest portion of your identity. The issue with Joash was that he traded what he was meant to be for what he built. Remember, this was the same kid who was hidden in the presence of God for six years and took the throne at seven years old, and now as an adult, he's making all these bad decisions because he got caught up in him, and all God wanted is, can you change the way you think about your kingdom and realize that this is for my glory and not yours? And when he didn't do that, he reaped what he sowed. We need a temple restoration. We need the church to walk into who we are. And it can never be about our glory. It can never be about building our kingdoms. We have got to understand that we have got to change the way we think about everything. We don't need to be in maintenance mode. We just need to say, God, we want more. And it's not more of a thing. It's more of you. Because I can tell you, I love this house. I love this church. I love our worship. I love everything. But this is nowhere near what God wants. Nowhere near. And how dare us get in a place of thinking we're good? Are things happening? Yeah, families being built, cultures being built. We're, we're, we're understand We are all. We all have this hunger for God. But we've got to get to this place where where we realize. God, change what you want to change. Expose us to what you want to expose us to because we never want to get to the place where this is all it is. And it's going to look different. It's going to be different. And if we won't be, if we don't have the fate to go in a way that's different, then we'll never be exposed to new wine. And there, and if we can paint walls black and put screens up all day, but all we will do is settle for an old wineskin. Because let me tell you, the contemporary church has become an old wineskin. Right. We know how to put order to things, just like Joe Ash did. He got the money straight. He got the, the priests doing what they needed to do. He got the builders. He, got the, he, he ordered all the way. But when it came down to it, he left the presence of God. And he made some stupid decisions all for himself. And where the, 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 the new church... We get all the the order right. We get the screens. We get the the, the worship team on point. We get the chairs. We get the AC. We we, we get all that stuff. We get the right kids ministry. We get all the good stuff. But there's so much more. I don't know about you, but I want to get to a place where every time I, I come together with the body, I don't lead the same. And I'm not talking about about, about, about little changes. I'm talking about anxiety can't live in my house anymore because I'm not going to settle for that lesser portion. I'm I'm, I'm talking about when you walk back to your home, the family didn't come with you, get exposed to fire because you walked into the living room. But it's got to come from increased hunger. God, don't, don't, don't promote me. Use me to promote you. We got to restore the temple. We got to get our breath back. Who wants to go there? Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? Come on. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for everything you're doing. And we just, together, we just say we want more. Can we say that together? We want more, God. We are hungry for more of you. So whatever you need to expose us to, Lord, I don't care what it is. I'm ready to go through whatever fire you want me to be exposed to. This house is ready to go through it so that we can be molded to contain the more. We are ready for more. We want new wine, God. We want our breath back. We don't want to strive. To breathe anymore, God. We don't want to strive for false forms of life. We don't want to try to, 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 to put our hand toward temporary things. We want our breath back. The breath that you've put in us, God. You've redeemed us. You have set us free. You have set us right, God. You call us righteous. We do not want to settle for lesser portion. So God, take us into the full. Take us into our full God, give people dreams tonight of what they are meant to do, who they are meant to be, what they are meant to put their hand to, God. Give people discernment as to what relationships need to stay, what relationships need to go. God, show them the path for their next step, their next career, their next job. God, show them the path of how to outdo people with honor this week. God, show us whatever you want so that we can give you glory in everything we do. And God, we want the temple restored. We want you to be seen in every part of it that's built, in the hands, the fingers, the legs the toes every single bit of us we are here to say this is not about our kingdom but this is about your kingdom so God your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as is in heaven and all the people said amen amen Amen. Amen. love you guys